Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast, where you'll hear right from the source how people like you have been able to buy and build their businesses across different industries all over the country. Dan Claps is the co-founder of Career Transition Leads, Nurture Assist, and Find a Business Online. Christian Dadalak is a franchise consultant with Find a Business Online, and he heads up business development for Career Transition Leads and Nurture Assist. He also runs an independent franchise consulting business, The Franchise Guys. Together, they formed relationships with hundreds of successful business owners who are excited to share their stories with you. Now, here are your hosts, Dan and Christian. Good afternoon, franchise founders, audience. How's everyone doing today? Christian, how are you? Doing well, man. Excited for another episode. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Yeah, excited as, as well. I think we're starting to really get the hang of doing these these podcasts as we practice. I think this is our 24th or 25th episode now. This will be number 25, man. So we're getting there a quarter of the way to 100 episodes. So I'm excited. We'll get there. We'll get there. I read somewhere that like a very des- you know, dismal amount of podcasts make it to 100. If you make it to 100, then maybe you'll continue on doing it. Yeah. I don't even think a lot make it to 25 even. I think a lot of people will start it and then they're like wow only like one person is listening to this so i'm just gonna stop but they don't realize that it, it it takes a second you gotta let it snowball and then eventually it'll grow if you're reinvesting into the quality of the show and then actually providing interesting stuff and value yeah i, I look at doing the podcast like building a business like don't look around too much like i don't look at the viewers i have no idea like i actually you could tell me one person or 1,000 people are, I doubt it's 1,000, but more like 10 probably, but I've never <laughs> looked. I don't, I don't want to look until like a year from now. And then when you get some momentum, because if you see that right away, you get discouraged and then you'll stop. And right. Nothing, nothing's going to happen unless you're consistent anyway. Yeah. You just got to commit to the process. Eventually there's always going to be that hockey stick curve, that exponential growth phase. But in the beginning, it just seems like you're not getting anywhere. But I know that, that that hockey stick, it always it always happens if you're providing good content, which I think we are. Yeah, and we're making enhancements, not on this episode, but we're making enhancements to making this uh, stronger and better sounding in the future. Um, well, I want to thank anyone that's joined this podcast. One of the things I was thinking about, Christian, over the weekend was everybody's got a podcast. Like, how many podcasts can there possibly be in the market? You can't listen to them all. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible the amount of content that's getting pushed out by, I don't mean just franchise people, but just businesses in general. It's funny because some of the meme pages that I follow on Instagram, (laughs) there's a running joke about how, you know, if every, you know, every dude has a podcast these days and, and for girls, if you're, if you're talking to a guy and he has a podcast, red flag run. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like, cause everyone is a podcast these days and everyone thinks they're the most interesting person in the world. And they're talking about what they had for breakfast or some banal, boring kind of stuff that just is trivial and doesn't matter to most people. But hopefully business ownership is a little bit different and a little bit more exciting for people. So you're telling me you don't use the podcast that we have as a pickup line at bars. Absolutely. It's on all my dating profiles. Give us a give us a look over at the Franchise Founders podcast. See if you can bear the sound of my voice for longer than five minutes. Yeah, that I mean I can't. That's not my thing right now, you know, or in general because I'm in a relationship. But if I were to be at a bar and, and single, I would absolutely pull up this uh, shining photo of our, of our 
thumbtack heads that we have of uh, <laughs> our, our background art. Let's see it. Look at it. I think we got to update this, huh? I think so. I think so. I can't pull it up. Looks a little, uh, it looks a little cookie cutter, but hey, it's better. I'm, I'm always, I've always been the type of guy that's, that's, I, I enjoy the ready, fire, aim strategy. I don't, I don't get ready, aim, and then fire. I just ready, fire, and then I course correct along the way. So I think it's better to just get something up there, and then we can get a better image down the line versus try to make everything perfect up front and never end up starting, which I think so many people do. Yeah, right. I guess the hybrid because Mark Cuban says jump out of the airplane and build your uh, parachute on the way down, and then there's the theory that you know the war is won in the, in the you know in the in the boardroom or in the planning room. Um, I think, you know, a combination. There's a dichotomy, you know, you, you can't, you can't do no planning. That'll kill you. But then you can't do too much planning where you don't take the first step. So there's, yeah. there's a healthy balance. And I think different personalities, different types of people will have a bias towards one or the other. I think you and I have a bias towards action. So we just kind of do things and maybe our natural instinct should be, okay, so we know that that's our person, but maybe we should plan a little bit more. And then other people, if they're super analytical and they plan too much, they need to they need to practice taking a little bit of action, taking a few more steps so that they can actually get things moving and, and out, out from just being in their head and out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. When I look at like, like for me, for working, like I, I typically would put in like a 50 or 60 hour a week, kind of like 60 hours a week on working. But that doesn't include the thinking time. That's just the doing. I'm the same way as you. I like to do, move fast, and and get the momentum, and then you know course correct as as I go. But um, in the time I spend thinking about the business, and, you know, and, and and the industry and franchising in general is probably more like I don't know, hundred hours a week, or you know, some larger amount. And and for me, that's only because of the stage of my life. You know, when I have a family, you know, children. And, I feel like now I'm able to see Coral plenty of time. We have a lot of quality time. I see my family with plenty of quality time on nights and weekends. So I'm working more just because, quite frankly, what am I going to do during the day? There's nothing for me to do in the middle of the week. But later in life, you know, and many of our listeners, maybe the stage where their kids are in that young, you know, precious age where they're around, you might want to work less. And and so greatness of a franchise is that they've done all the planning and execution and you don't have to uh plan as much you can just really execute no doubt yeah there's different seasons for everything obviously if you're if you're single versus if you're in a relationship versus you're married versus you're married with kids there's different priorities and that's okay it shifts but i think what's so nice about franchising is that it it can allow you to create a life in in any of those seasons and you can be as big as you want, or you can be as comfortable as you want in many cases. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, you know, you can work where you want, when you want. I saw uh, something recently on Instagram that was talking about because of the fact people can work anywhere. And the old status symbols was a big house and a sports car. And those are the old, those are still great. Don't get me wrong, but those are the old status symbol. Now it's time freedom and location freedom that is like the status symbol of someone that's doing well and, and I think if they're making good money and they're happy with the job they do and then they have the freedom and the time which franchising obviously often lends. Yeah, it's funny. I almost think I have friends, I won't name them obviously, I love them to death, but 
when I see them with the new Mercedes or BMW or, and, and I know, and they, they don't make enough money to really afford that, but they're, they're trying to look rich versus actually build wealth. Yeah. And, I, and back in the day for, for some people, I think they look at that and they're like, yeah, that's awesome. When I see people like that, I'm, I, I almost look down on them a little bit. I almost think you're kind of stupid. Yeah. I would rather, I drive a Volvo from 2014. I don't really give a crap and I'll probably, I'll drive that thing into the ground. Yeah. I like cars. I'd like to drive a nice Mercedes and all of that. But first I want to invest into assets that produce income, build wealth. And I, I want to build an asset. And I think that it's just such a different way of thinking, but I think our generation more and more is realizing that, like you said, time freedom and financial freedom, that's really where it's at. Not having all of these liabilities that take money out of your pocket, out of your bank account, that cause you stress. And then in times of economic peril, you end up having to sell anyways because you need some liquidity. So it just, it just doesn't make any sense. But I think that it's, it's a nice trajectory where I think time freedom and financial freedom, that's the way to go. And that's what franchising really offers. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think the number, it's almost like, it seems like the number, and this is obviously a, you know, a made up number that I've come up with in my own mind, but I feel like if you really want to build assets and utilize the capital you're earning from whether it's your job or the business you have, that like typically that trajectory, you really need to be focused until 35 is early, but 40, I'd say like if you really want to get, you know, you start making money and instead of doing the easy decision of let me go buy the sports car or let me go buy the big house or, um, you know, et cetera, um, or just save it in a conservative investment account. You know, really, I think that the, the check boxes you need to knock off first are, you know, if you're interested in business ownership, you need to take the capital and deploy it towards a business. Then you need that business to cash flow. Then you need to be able to then buy either other assets. Think about if you want to buy more businesses, you need cash. I, I face that right now where I say, you know, um, I'm fortunate to, I own a condo that I rent out, but I actually rent, you know, rent where we live. And I'm constantly going through this decision of, hey, instead of buying, it would feel good to buy a, a house. I understand the whole concept that renting is, um, is you know, a waste of money, although it's really not you're paying for, um, you know, a place to live and you're not, like when you're paying a mortgage, it's not all going to the equity at all, right? Especially if nope. you're really- And especially for the first five years, it's almost all interest. Right. And so as an entrepreneur, for me, I'm always thinking about, well, this capital or this, this cash what about utilizing it in other areas? And that's what I've always done and, and said, hey, you know what? At least it's a year. You can get through a year if God forbid something goes wrong if you invest your capital somewhere else. But once you commit to a mortgage, um, it's not just the capital that you put that you're losing opportunity costs, but it's the you're stuck. That's it. Like you can't get out of that. Absolutely. And anyone that's read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or the cash flow quadrant, any of the rich dad books, Robert Kiyosaki talks about how, and, and a lot of people, especially realtors will get pissed off at this idea because they know they want to sell homes and everything, but how the house isn't necessarily an asset. It's a liability because it's taking money out of your pocket. Yes. You're building some, some wealth over time. You're building an asset. I get that, but, but it's, it's not a cash flowing asset. That's taking money out of your, your account every month. I would rather invest into, assets that create cash flow for myself, business ownership, uh, other passive real estate. And you mentioned that you have a condo that you rent out, things like that. So I think that 
anytime conventional wisdom is challenged, I tend to gravitate towards it because I'm a natural contrarian. And, and I really start to gravitate to it. If I, if I post something like I posted something about how, you know, there's a case to be made that renting isn't always worse than buying a home. And I got lit up by a million and one realtors in my town. Most of them are friends of mine, but, but anytime this is a Mark Twain quote. Anytime you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. And that just validated it a hundred percent for me. If everyone's singing the same song, my natural inclination is, uh, I'm going to back up and maybe try, try the, the load, the road less traveled because that's, that's how you build wealth. Most you're not, you don't build wealth doing the same thing everyone else is doing. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, I completely agree. When I, when I bought the condo, I remember asking the realtor, we were talking about the, you know, like the broker, the, the, the main realtor's office it was that was doing all these transactions. He's got these big billboards all over New Jersey, up and down the turnpike. And we we're talking about him and how, you know, he's a successful person in his real estate career. And I was like, well, where does he live? And it was funny. The realtor said, oh, he actually rents a house in, you know, in a town called towns over. And I thought it was interesting. Like, what does he know that I don't know that he's not owning the house? He's the realtor. He's the top. He's making a ton of money. But he was renting a house, and I think he was putting his money back towards those billboards. Which, if he spends five thousand a month per billboard, makes X number of dollars, and he's investing it into office space or whatever it is that he needs, and he's renting. And yeah, it might seem like he's wasting money, but he's preserving capital to put it towards, uh, you know, towards business. Obviously, it's great if you do it all, but I found that you usually right. can't. You usually have to make a sacrifice somewhere. Um, you know, and it's, it's just interesting only because I feel like this is like a political conversation. If you have with something, it, it could get heated. I explain, call it $2,000. Someone else is making $2,000 right now this month. And we're, I'm providing them a, a place that's nice to live. And they're exchanging that money they made and they're putting it in my pocket. So whatever my income is, it went up by $2,000. And the money I'm paying in rent, well, quite frankly, it's it's it's... I wouldn't be able to live where I live if I bought it. It would be just too expensive because we're renting it. It's cheaper Good to rent where we like to live. We own where we rent out. Um, and that provides the freedom and the um, decision freedom too, where if I make a decision that might take five years, well, I can always, I can always move. Now, granted, we're in different stages than maybe some of our listeners that have you know more commitments, but that that choosing you know making a decision not because you have to but because you want to is is so important um and you know i'm just i'm rambling but it's interesting when i think about in new york city where, where i live there's people renting thirty thousand dollar a month apartments and a lot of times people will say well they're idiots they have to be so stupid and i always have kind of this this argument that's like can't be that stupid i mean the, they have enough money, and granted some people I know they inherit, but some of these people, they have enough money that they can easily pay $30,000 a month just on um, on their rent. They can't be that stupid. They must know something. You know, I see a lot of finance people in, in, in my building renting. Of course. Well, because they, they understand that, look, there's hidden costs in real estate. So it's not just about your down payment the interest you're paying, but there's maintenance costs, there's property taxes, there's there's a there's a bunch of costs that will go into it. And Robert Kiyosaki again talks about it in Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's it never makes sense to buy an asset or what you perceive to be an asset 
strictly because of the tax benefits you're going to get. So yeah, you can deduct the mortgage interest, but I'm not going to buy something solely for that reason. It has to make sense financially before that, you know, that just should be like an added bonus basically. But you know, if I have 50 to a hundred thousand dollars, do I really want to put that into a home where that's going to be taking money out of my bank account every month? Or do I want to invest it into a business, a franchise or some other kind of passive cash flow, cash flowing asset that can put money back into my pocket? I would rather build up enough of those first and then buy a house with that cash flow later on. But if all I have is that one down payment, I'm going to put that, I'm going to invest that into assets that are going to be able to build cash flow. And then down the road, then I can use that cash flow to save up another down payment, buy a home, and then use that money that's residual income to pay for that residual expense, which is my mortgage, which that's the way I look at it. You know, but I think if you're going to build a house, you have to do it in the right order. You're not going to start with the roof. You have to start with the foundation. You can't wire a house before you frame it. And I, in, in my mind, if you want to really build wealth, you've got to start with business. And I'll start, I'll stop rambling in a second, but I posted something on my Instagram today from a book I'm reading. And it says effectively hundred percent of non-retired millionaires who live in the United States own their own businesses. Um, another study from uh, a book called the state of the affluent concluded through his research that some 80% of the affluent are either retired or own their own company further an astounding 91% of everyone having over a $5 million net worth owns their own company. So in my mind, it makes sense to invest in your, into yourself and into a business first before investing into a mortgage and in, into real estate. You're never going to get as strong of a return than you can. Obviously there's risks, but then, then, then from a business, you know, I, I, um, it was interesting. I was with a friend of mine, he's very high up in, in uh, finance uh, in the city here. And he was explaining that all of their largest investors, uh, individuals, our business owners, like you said, he's like the entrepreneur is the one that makes you know, makes the money that can have the exit, that can have the opportunity. And I think that's what's so exciting about owning your own business is that, hey, you may work really hard and not get there, but there's an opportunity to. There's a chance that you can figure out how to build a business, whether it's building a company. It doesn't have to be the next Facebook. There's lots of businesses that you've never heard of that may sold for millions of dollars and they're just in a little space and then invest in their space. Um, or you can own 2,000, uh, what's the largest franchise you have just reading? I think he has like, like a thousand locations. Something crazy like that. I, I read something, I think it was in Franchise Wire, where there was a franchisee who exited for like $675 million yeah. in like the last couple of weeks. I don't know if that's the same guy or not, but it was a franchisee, not a Zor. Yeah. Or look at like Planet Fitness. They just had a similar exit at that amount of money. Someone started that business. They started a local gym and they figured it out and they grew it and they franchised it and they you know, made a great product and value. And, and they were, you know, obviously their, their equity was probably diluted by the time of that, that sale, but they made tremendous wealth for themselves, for their family, for their employees, for the investors. You know, they created that out of, out of nothing. Um, which is just so exciting about, about business ownership. But let's, on the topic, lending. So yeah. all these people, they want to buy a business. They don't do it with cash, all cash. They do it with lending. So that's our segue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so 
Yeah, I mean, I think even when somebody does have cash, it, it still makes sense to use a little bit of leverage. Now, you never want to be over leveraged, but if you can use some other people's money and, and maintain a certain degree of liquidity of, of your own, I think that that can make sense. And so there are, there are different routes to, to funding a business, obviously. And it depends on what type of business you're funding. Are you buying something existing? Are you starting something up through franchising? And we'll have a, we'll have a funding professional that can get a little bit deeper into one of our later episodes. But there are, obviously, there's the SBA, so the Small Business Administration. You can get loans through them. Uh, there's HELOCs, so home equity lines of credit. There are securities-backed lines of credit, or known as portfolio loans, where you pledge your securities in a non-qualified account. What that means is any sort of uh, investment account that's not a retirement account, you can pledge, I think it's up to 80% of that of the value of that portfolio up as collateral, so the money stays fully invested. So you can use, you can use that and get a line of credit that way to help fund a business. There's the... Um, the ROBS program, Rollover for Business Startup, where you can use retirement funds to help fund or partially fund your business. So there's there's a lot of different options. There's more beyond that. There's unsecured lines of credit and equipment uh, purchasing, uh, lots of different options. So, I mean, is there anyone that in particular you'd like to touch on, Dan? Or I think the SPA loan. I think that, um, yeah. in my opinion, the best and best way to do the investment, and obviously it depends on the age that you're at, but you can roll over your 401k, tax deferred, penalty free. You know, think what are you, what are you really getting in, in you know in dividend in your, your 401k? Right? So you can take that money; it's gone anyway. You forgot about it; it's sitting in your retirement account. So now you can take it out. You can roll it forward, use it as your cash injection to then get the remainder through an SBA loan, small business administration loan. I think that's phenomenal. Although I'll tell you something I learned recently. And I don't know if you could do it with the rollover, right? I, I'd imagine no, but I don't know. This is not my expertise. I've never personally done a rollover of this and, and what I'm about to say, but I just learned that, and I'm not an accountant, so don't take my word for this if you're listening and do this. Talk to your accountant. But I just learned that you can you could form an entity, call it an LLC. If you lose money, you know, if you end up losing money in the first year because you're starting a business, right? Obviously the loss of money is a write-off. And if you took a loan, then you lost the bank's money against your own, you know, uh, tax liabilities for that year. When I say lost the bank's money, you, the money that was lent to you, you lost in starting your business. It's not a loss; you invested in your, your future business. But that loss can carry into, you know, the next year and even sometimes multiple years. But what I learned that I had, I had no idea was that if you invest into your own business, your own capital, your own basis. Your capital goes in. If you're an S-Corp, an LLC treated as an S-Corp, that investment um, can be pulled out at a later time tax-free. So let's use a round number. You put in $100,000 into your business and you get a loan for $400,000 or $300,000. So your total investment is $400,000. You put $100,000 in. Um, you're an LLC taxed as a as a, as a C corp. That hundred thousand is basis. That's your you invest in your own company, just like you would have with you know a stock. And when you are able to, you could start to take that hundred thousand out when the business is profitable. You can take it out tax 
you know, without any any tax on it. And so I, I didn't realize that you could you could do that. Maybe people listening and saying, well, of course you could. That's silly. But for me, I never, you know, I never realized that. Plus, remember, you got the capital gain if you ever exited the business. That hundred thousand could be uh, also considered disqualified. Yeah. What I think at a time when obviously this is late June of twenty twenty two. The, uh, the stock market's taking a massive hit. Prices are going up astronomically everywhere. Interest rates are rising. So I think for a lot of people, especially in the market, you're, I mean, you're, we're all getting our teeth kicked in. So for some people, it could make sense. You know, if you have some retirement funds, you're leaving your, your, your job, you want to bet on yourself. You know, and again, this is not financial advice. Talk to your financial advisor, talk to your CPA. But, you know, it, it could make sense for some people, I would imagine, to take some of that that 401k and roll it into the stock of their new company uh, and bet on yourself. And again, now that money is not subject to the volatility, volatility of the market, now you're invested in yourself and getting your business up and running. And like Dan mentioned, you can use that as the cash injection requirement to get the SBA loan. So the SBA, they require a certain cash injection is basically like a down payment. And so that, that uh, rollover into your your company's stock, so to speak, that can that can count towards that cash injection. And then you could finance the rest of the business through an SBA loan. So you can blend different financing strategies. And I think that honestly, at a time when things are uncertain, I think that one of the best things people can do, if, if, you, if you have experience managing people, managing processes, you know how to build and lead teams, then it is a great time to, to bet on yourself. And so it, it helps to learn some of these different funding strategies for sure. Yeah. And you know, listen, obviously we all know there's a potential that there's going to be an economic downturn, probably not even a potential, probably very, very likely. likely. We're so, already in it. Yeah. And it'll maybe get worse and it'll get better. My mindset is that's already happened multiple times called a business cycle. It is an economic cycle. And I don't ever allow that to stop me from making decisions. I'm prepared. I know there'll be a storm to weather, right? And when I plan, I think about it. I had to get through COVID. We all had to get through COVID. Um, you'll get through it. And, you know, whether you own a business today, five years from now, 10 years from now, there's always, there's always going to be something going on. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, when it comes to starting a business, just like real estate, they say, uh, instead of waiting uh, what's the saying? Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Kind of feel that way about a business. First five years are going to be hard anyway. No matter what, it's usually going to be kind of hard. Um, franchising it mitigates that where it's easier, much faster. But I think a business gets good after three to five years. And so you're going to deal with that no matter what. Um, right now with lending, I mean, you can get, you know, obviously prime rate is at the highest it's been, um, you know, in a very long time. Uh, if if ever, right? Has Prime ever been this high? I'm a little ignorant to that. It, it, it has, but but in the I mean, it hasn't been this high. I, I believe at least since you know 07, um, and maybe even prior to that. But it's it hasn't been like this for for a long time. I mean, the federal funds rate was was damn near close to zero percent interest for almost the entirety of the last ten to twelve years. And we're at zero percent interest for the long time. But here's what's interesting. I think no one's talking about with SBA loans. Um, an SBA loan is a variable rate. It's not a fixed rate. So if you get a loan now at the high interest rate, it's going to typically be prime plus 2.75, which I get it's high, but it's going to either go up or go down. Everyone that got a loan before 
theirs is going up too, right? Because it's a variable, uh, uh, you know, rate. It's a floating rate. So, you know, you're going to weather a couple months or years of a little higher interest payment, a couple hundred dollars a month, but that'll go back down as the check times change. And if they were low right now, it's, who cares? It's going to go up eventually. It, like, you're always going to have to weather some type of storm, as I mentioned, but if you start a business, that weathering that storm is always going to be easier later. So why not just get the hard part out of the way? I, I agree. And what's interesting too is, we, we act like these rates are incredibly high and, and they, and they're higher than they have been. This is not, we're not used to this because for the past decade and a, and a couple of years, we've been spoiled with very, very low interest rates. But if you look historically, rates have been right around here in many cases more. You look back at the seventies, rates were astronomically high, but, but were there people that were still starting businesses Were there people that were still buying homes? Were there people that were still being successful? Absolutely. If you're going, if you're going to be successful, you're going to find a way in any market. You have to be careful. You have to plan. You have to be strategic. Don't get me wrong, but there are people that are winning and and, and losing in every kind of market. You just have to decide which person you're going to be. A hundred percent. I just saw this. um, You're right. You're going to be successful whether you, you know, whatever you do, it's you. I saw Jim Carrey posted something um, and it was like, you could take everything away from me. But if you didn't take away me, then it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to rebuild. As long as I have me, then it's not over. I'll rebuild. And, you know, from, from there, you know, I just, when you look at the lending, um, you're also like, just like people buy a house and they take on this massive mortgage and they go, oh, I can write off the interest, right? You're still paying. But with an SBA loan, you can still write off the interest as well. So that's a benefit to your P&L. Um, although I, I will say that I don't look at write-offs the way that other people do. Um, people, friends of mine that own businesses, they act like a write-off is free. Like it's just free, you know, money. It's 30, it's spending a dollar to save 30 cents. Like right. that's how I look at it. So I'd rather pay the taxes because not that, you know, I'd rather pay the, if I'm keeping the money, then wouldn't you rather keep the money and pay the taxes and have 70% than spend all you know and, and to save 30 percent or whatever it is it's, it's kind of right. silly i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spend money unnecessarily that i don't have to spend just so i can get a, a tax refund that makes no sense and that goes back to what i was mentioning before with robert kiyosaki and how he says i don't do something primarily for the tax benefit yeah. it has to make financial sense on paper first then if i get the tax benefit that's that's gravy that's a bonus but that's not the primary reason I'm doing it. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Is that's that, what it is. That's, that's exactly yeah. right. Um, it reminds me as a kid, like when we were in grocery shopping in my house, we, we, we cut coupons um, and uh, we would, you know, you would laugh because like, you know, we'd go to buy something and it'd be like, oh, buy two and you get a half off and you're still buying more to save, or it's like, you know, when you're trying to lose weight, something's half, you know, half the fat, you can't eat two of them. You know, it, it doesn't matter that it's half. It's, it's a gimmick. In my mind, it's a bait and switch. It's very smart. It's smart from a marketing standpoint, but from a consumer standpoint, from a business standpoint, I'm not going to spend extra money. So what's nice is with an SBA loan is you're investing into yourself to start a business and that business can create cash flow and the, the more revenues you're putting up on the board and the, the more money you're taking to the bottom line, 
the bigger the assets you're building that one day you can be able to sell when, when and if you decide to exit, which you most likely will. And, and all of the while you still get that tax benefit. So that's a situation where it makes sense, but you're not starting the business just so you can write off the interest from the, from the loan. That would make absolutely no sense. I think a lot of people do that with mortgages, but they just think about it differently. But it's, it's a very similar thing. So, But I think the SBA loan is a great strategy. And there's you can blend all these different strategies. There's so many ways to do it. And I think interest rates are likely to continue to rise. I mean, most experts are saying that. That really is the only tool that the Fed has in its tool belt at this point to help uh, tamp down on inflation. So in my mind, if, if someone is thinking about starting a business, it's I mean, you did say the loan is variable, but I think it is good to, to get it going now you know, while the, while the interest rates are, are lower versus when they get a little bit higher. Yeah. And also remember SPA loans are like the way I think back to when you first got your first credit card, um, an SPA loan is a relationship. If you're good with an SPA loan, of, uh, I think a lot of clients that buy franchises, you know, the $150,000 <clears throat> express loan, um, that's starting a relationship. And it's starting, if you can prove that you can pay back that loan properly and you're a good you know, custodian of the money, then you can lend, get more and you know, have more lent to you. I, I think about like Top Golf. Like, you want to think of Top Golf is what is that, $6 million or something to build out? You think the people yeah. that buy those have $6 million in cash? Probably not. They probably have, they probably have you know, seven figures in cash to put down, but right. they're able to take, you know, and and you and just by the way, you could have seven figures in cash and try to go get an SPO. And it's gonna be hard if you don't have the the history, um, just because you have the cash. And we all know credit doesn't really. Uh, there's no you know just because you have cash doesn't mean you have credit uh, borrowing power. And so if you have a desire, you're 40 years old, you want to buy your first franchise and build an empire, maybe have it to 10 or 20 someday. Um, you need to start having those lending relationships now. I agree completely. Yeah, you got to build up that those relationships, everything in business at the end of the day, I think really boils down to relationships. So you got to have relationships with banks, with vendors, with your clients, with your employees, with your franchisor. If you decide to go the franchise route, all of those relationships are absolutely critical. So it's important to invest in those and banking is is no doubt one of them. Yeah. And just to clarify, absolutely. I totally agree. And from the lending standpoint, when I say relationship, not just relationship meaning you know a contact at the bank, but um, a history. A, 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 you know, I think that term is used relationship with the bank. Right? You have to have a, a lending history with the SBA. They know you. Build up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know you. They know your business. They know what you're about. That's what matters. You know, I've worked with clients before that. They, they financed their franchise through their local bank or they got an SBA through their local bank. And most people really can't do that, but they they had a relationship that they had built up over, over several years. So the bankers knew them. They knew what they were about, their history, who they were, their creditworthiness. And so they were willing to actually lend them money. Whereas for most other people that don't have that long-term relationship, it would have been much more difficult. Yeah. Well, we also, we also missed the boat because I think obviously people make decisions that not companies or not banks. Right? So there's somebody at the end of the day making a decision. And if you're close that having that relationship matters, but I think we missed the boat because there used to be a lot more like, you know, you hear these stories like Richard Branson or, you know, other you know, moguls, how they went to the bank and they sold them on this idea and they got the banker to like them and they gave them the money. And like, that's like not a thing anymore. You can't just walk. Those in days are gone. Yeah. They have all kinds of algorithms and, 
you know, pattern recognition and making a decision. But I always think it's interesting when you hear these stories like how like this big time entrepreneur in the 70s, 80s, or even 90s was able to, you know, secure a bank loan like that. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, and, and I understand anyone that's listening, if, if any of that sounded kind of complicated, you know, funding, it, it's not that complicated. You can wrap your head around it, but it might take some visuals. And so don't let it discourage you if you didn't completely catch what we were saying. And we will bring on someone else in the future that specializes in this area. We can break down each of the different funding methods for you all. I think that's something that people would find valuable. But um, but I think that, you know, those are, you know, understanding financing and understanding exactly how you're going to fund the business and thinking about that and, and going into the conversation as you're exploring franchises with that in mind, that's, that's, that's incredibly important. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, uh, thanks everyone for hopping on another episode of the franchise founders podcast. Really enjoy having you guys here today. Uh, as always, we'd appreciate an honest review, uh, like share, subscribe, Tell people about it. Write that review. We appreciate it all. And uh, we'll see you all in the next episode.